Welcome to the Startup and Angels podcast. Startup and Angels connects founders, business angels, investors, corporates, mentors, and advisors through events, workshops, and an online community. Startup and Angels runs a series of networking events and over the years has gathered more than 10,000 attendees, including startup founders, angel investors, tech startup ecosystem players, and journalists in more than 15 countries across the Asia Pacific. If you are a founder looking to raise funds, connect with industry leaders, or meet like-minded people, subscribe to our free community. Thank you to Australians for sponsoring this podcast series and enjoy. Hi, everyone. It's your host, Roman from Startup and Angels. In today's episode, we are very lucky to welcome a special guest for Startup and Angels podcast season three, Hiem, the founder of The Culture Equation. The Culture Equation is a collective of practitioners with a passion for co-creating authentic culture and employee experiences with fast-growing scale-ups. Hiem, thank you so much for joining us in this episode. Perhaps to start on an inspirational note, can you run us through what inspired you to start The Culture Equation? Thanks, Roman. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to. My story began a long time ago, 2007, when I joined what was back then a very little known um, company called Google. And I remember my father, when I turned down a job, at a very stable job at a bank in favor for this company called Google, I remember him saying, Google Schmoogle, who calls their company this kind of So I remember starting uh, 80 people on the same day. It was growing super, super fast. Um, and in a, you know, in their office in Dublin on in a little laneway called Barrow Street. And there was something that hit me between the eyes that very first day around this company and how different it rolled compared to anywhere else I had ever been exposed to. And I had worked in companies in New York and in Dublin at that time. And I was just amazed at this kind of feeling of endless opportunity and the fact that my career from day one, it was made known to me that my career can go in any direction that I wanted in this organization. Um, and they talked a lot, and I mean a lot, about culture. And so I paid attention to this because it seemed like something that was very, very important to them. And during my kind of almost 10-year you know, career there, I really wanted to understand what is it that makes up this thing called culture? You know, what are the components? How do you measure it? How do you change it if it's going in the wrong direction? How do you define it? How do you get what was, you know, 20,000 people growing to 30,000, growing to now it's over 130,000. How do you continuously iterate as this company kind of bursts at the seams all the time? How do you do that? So I was really fortunate to, to move into the, the people and culture team. And I ended up heading up leadership development. And I realized that culture is lived and breathed first and foremost through leaders. Um, they are the first people that have the awesome responsibility to demonstrate culture in action. And so you cannot um, separate culture from leadership. And obviously, that, that sounds so obvious. But my business now is really around those things. You know, how do you help, especially I, I'm very passionate still about startups and scale ups. How do you help these tiny embryonic organizations that could grow just as fast and and burst at the seams just as quickly, how can you really help them to do that in a thoughtful way when it comes to the culture? Because it is the culture that really is the fuel to achieve your goals, your business goals. 
That's so, that's so interesting. So you mentioned that, um, leaders are one of the most important part of creating a, a good culture. Um, where, where, where does this start in your sort of training? Do you start with, um, mentoring them or what, what's your strategy with implementing culture through leaders? Yeah, obviously with startups and scale-ups, it starts with the founder or founders. Yes. Um, and we start with them, their stories, why they created whatever it is they have created. What is the problem they're trying to solve uh, for the world? Um, so we really help them to start with the basic cultural pillars of purpose, values, and what we call leadership principles. There are three core pillars. Uh, and it takes more than just one workshop and you're done. You know, so we also add on things like coaching, um, especially one-on-one -on -one coaching for the founder or founders and group coaching for the founding leadership team. These people are usually incredibly or exceptional at whatever functional area they are in charge of, whether it's marketing or whether it's the technical side Um, they also are the custodians of that culture from the very beginning. They are your ambassadors. They will be the people that will attract those um, brand new starters to your team. And so they're very important to get involved early in designing and implementing your desired culture. And how do you get, um, obviously there's, you know, I'm sure it's a, it's a, um, the mentorship and, and implementing a culture um, into an organization takes a lot of time. Um, but how do you get employees to, you know, follow those leaders? What are the sort of um, tactics that you use or, or methods? Yes, it does take a lot of time. It's never completely done. You can never say we're done you know, with our culture thing, we can leave that now. So it's always an always on strategy. And it is not necessarily owned by a people and culture leader, it's owned by everybody. And I think that's the key to getting um, everybody involved early. Um, because anybody that comes into your organization, let's hope you have hired them because they are already a good culture fit, or a good culture ad. But again, because you are so small, They are also coming in with the responsibility of evolving your culture, um, for speaking about your culture, for, again, attracting more talent because of your culture. So getting those people, you know, whether you're five people, 10, 15, 20, and keep going from there, whether you're seed, series A, series B, it is so important to have an inclusive mindset as one of your core principles around How do we continuously define and embed our culture into practices, things like rituals? How do we use um, artifacts to transfer our culture onto something that's physical, for example, that represents our culture? Uh, what, are the, what are the cool things that only kind of the grassroots can come up with when it comes to living and breathing our cultural values? And as you get more and more people involved, it actually takes that pressure off you as a leader or you as a founder, um, and it allows things to evolve naturally. But you have to put in the hard yards first and foremost. No, that makes sense. Um, do you also, you're speaking about, you know, attracting or um, retaining talents, um, 
when a talent exits um, a company, do you also do work on, you know, the feedback that this, uh, this talent may have? Uh, and if it's linked to the culture, what's, what's your work around that? Yeah, feedback and measuring culture is something that's really important. Otherwise, how do you know that your culture is actually something that people gravitate towards and are attracted mm -hmm. towards? So um, it's really important that uh, through whatever tools you use, there's a million and one tools out there, that you're asking intentional questions, which help you to get a read on how people are experiencing culture, which also has a huge knock-on effect in terms of their engagement. How happy are they in your organization? How long are they thinking they're going to stay for? Would they recommend your organization to others? Um, so these are important things to to measure and to understand, but always linking it back to, well, what could we improve? What are the things that you would do differently? And, and getting that feedback loop always in motion. Okay, I see. Um, and in the current um, environment of COVID-19 and post-COVID-19 now, we hope it's it's never coming back. Um How, how important is culture? And do you feel like a lot of organizations have had, especially in, in scale-ups, um, have had to adapt themselves to a new um, sort of culture, especially with hybrid uh, work-from-home um, modes of working? Yeah, absolutely. Look, COVID-19 was a catalyst for a worldwide experiment on the workplace. What used to be a privilege in terms of flexible working is now like running water. Everybody expects flexible working as a way. And, the, and honestly, any organization that doesn't subscribe to this is going to be left behind because it is number one on the list of any candidate that's out there potentially looking for a, a change in, in role or a, a career change. So, yes, COVID-19 started that. But also, if you think about it right now, we are experiencing a massive shortage of all kinds of people in the workforce, not just people who are highly skilled um, technically, right? We're, we're experiencing a massive um, shortage of all kinds of people in the workforce. COVID, obviously, in Australia, shut our borders for two years. We have not had the skilled migrants that we are used to having or the students or even those that are on holiday working visas, working holiday visas. Um, so that's one contributing factor, but also big tech companies that said that they would hire from anywhere and therefore their workforce could work from anywhere were first off the ranks in terms of breaking open the metaphorical borders and actually hiring again from our backyards, right? So we are experiencing and what is since 1972 now the, the lowest rate of unemployment um, that we've ever experienced. I think it's at 3.2 two or three percent right now so if you as an organization have not figured out a your culture and how that is being represented externally in order to attract and most importantly retain the people that will fuel your organization then you're already on the back foot this is something that should be front and center top of your to-do list um, because if you can't find the people um, there will be obviously a knock-on impact to your momentum, your innovation, your velocity, um, and potentially to the next round of funding that you're going to be going through. So it's really, really important you put this at the top of your list right now. No, definitely. 
Um, can you um, tell us, uh, for example, perhaps it could be the name of, of a company as an example or just um, um, their mission or examples of what would be um, a good functioning culture? What would be the sort of criteria um, that would help you measure that the company has a good functioning culture? There's a good question there, you know, off the top of my head. Um, you know, we're seeing some really interesting things coming out of Dovetail right now, which is worth having a look at. Indebted um, has been experimenting with a four-day working week. Definitely another one, um, you know, to have a look at. Uh, TikTok has a has a beautiful purpose um, that seems to be attracting um, younger generations, Gen Z, into their workforce. So something, uh, and obviously their product, I'm sure, is is a reason behind that. Um, so there's a lot out there in terms of um, great organizations that have really crystallized what they're about and how that then changes how they work. So the why influences the how, which then influences the what. Starting at the why, you know, good old Simon Sinek, he's he's dead right. Start there. It's a very important place to start. And it's one that I, I see a lot of organizations confusing with the mission. The mission statement and your purpose, completely different things. Um, so worth uh, really looking into What is the difference between those two things and how can we articulate them better or differently? I'm picturing the Simon Sinek onion uh, when he did that TED talk on why, what, yeah. how, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's really, that's a very good one, very simple way of explaining things, but it does, um, it, it is efficient to understand. <laughs> so, Another question I have is, um, and I think it's, it's a question that a lot of companies are having themselves is working from home, um, and, and, you know, implementing that as a flexible, um, way of working as part of, of the culture. Um, does working according to you, uh, and your experience, especially with scale ups that have a bit more of a progressive, uh, mindset, do you think that working from home needs to have boundaries um, or um, the flexible uh, workplace is something that uh, most companies should should consider? Yes, I think a lot of startups have already kind of cracked this um, with a more of a remote first approach. Um, some have implemented remote first, but very intentionally, when are we going to meet in person throughout the year? So really planning out those points in time that we will meet in person as a whole organization, then beyond that as a division, depending on what team you belong to, what function you belong to. Um, and then in terms of, you know, potentially the more smaller teams, when do we meet and where do we meet? So there is definitely this feeling that you cannot have, an organization work well, we are human beings, we are first and foremost, social beings that need to build relationships, we need to build connection, and we need to build a sense of belonging. And we can't do that entirely from our home office. So I think we all know that and, and really accept that intrinsically, it's in us to want to do that. But we don't want to just be told, right, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you must be in the office. Um, 
there doesn't seem to be any thinking behind that. There doesn't seem to be any design behind that. It doesn't seem to be of any real um, purpose. And I think people want a little bit more consultation, understanding, again, that whole idea of inclusion, you know, listening first, uh, seeking to understand before being understood. It's really important that you get it right because you don't have many runs at this. You don't get to do this again and again in terms of, putting out there what it is you expect from your workforce and the why behind that and how that's linked to our culture, how it's linked to our values, for example. So really making sure that you bring back the why you want people in the office in certain times or certain days or certain um, points in the year back to what does this do for us from a culture perspective is probably the number one tip I could give there. Yeah, because we've seen uh, Elon Musk, for instance, being uh, under fire because he wanted his um, employees to go back to the office. Um, so it's interesting to see, um, you know, the leaders that want to perhaps adapt to a new culture post-COVID and the other ones that are actually um, keeping that uh, that mindset. That kind of leads me to my next question, which is how important is it to remake the culture after COVID? Um, and is it is it something that every single leader should think of, um, you know, especially considering their their mission or, or their their in the industry that they're in? 100%. I don't know if COVID is necessarily the only catalyst that should have you think about your culture more intentionally. I think that thinking about your culture intentionally is something you should do mostly, like maybe on an annual basis. You know, there are other things that are happening right now. For example, you know, Gen Z is coming into the workforce. Um, by 2025, 23% of the workforce will be Gen Z, and they bring with them very different needs and expectations and, you know, skills and, and things that they can add. So don't just look at it as post-COVID that we should look at our, our culture. Look at all the other factors around work that makes you think, really, should we should we just reassess where our culture is right now in light of so many different things happening? Um, if you are experiencing a huge amount of churn, if people are leaving, you know, within a 12-month time frame, um, these are warning signs. These are um, flashing red lights that you need to think about, well, what's happening? Let's let's do some, first of all, I call it a discovery, which is like, just let's look at what our culture currently is right now. Let's unearth what what exists. And then let's look at the gap between what exists and potentially what needs to exist in order for us to thrive as an organization. So look at it very objectively, um, try and take an object, uh, you know, an external. So hopefully somebody like the culture equation to help you take a really objective look at where your culture is right now, where you want it to be, and then really help you step by step to get there. That was my, um, my next question, actually, where should they start? Uh, you know, where do, do they then start looking at uh, the turnover? Um, how, how, how do they start the conversation? Yeah, start with any kind of catalyst that you think makes sense for you as a team and organization right now to pay attention to. Um, and if that triggers you to think about your culture and where you are right now, then start looking at, well, what is the objective truth about our culture so that we can at least unearth what is great about us that already exists and that we need to harness? Maybe we haven't even put 
you know, language around what already exists that we absolutely didn't realize is such a plus point to to our organization. And also let's look at those things that are the watchouts that are coming through from that objective discovery process that really might not be serving us well and that we might need to discard. And doing that literally on an annual basis or a biannual basis is really smart, really, really smart. And it's what organizations that are known for their culture um, seem to do a lot of. They never let that their foot off that particular pedal. When, you, when you're saying that, um, you know, uh, functioning organizations uh, with a strong culture evaluate it every year, um, how does a, a meeting um, on evaluating their culture looks like? Have you have you been in one as a as a consultant or? Yeah. That I call them circle back. So, you know, post doing a discovery process, um, you know, we all get into a room and we just take a look at what has come up objectively. But again, it takes a facilitator to really to frame things up properly so that everybody feels that they are. Um, you know, that they are an empowered part of this process and not a bystander and that their viewpoint and perspective is welcome. Everybody's is welcome um, to the table because there's no point looking at culture without feeling safe to actually put your point of view across in terms of what you think needs to change and what you think we should hold on to. Um, so those meetings for me, they look like workshops. They look fun. They look vibrant. They look Um, sometimes they can be a little bit raw and emotional, um, depending on what we are discussing. Um, but they always end with a very clear way forward. And I think that's what I get excited about is clarity um, and a feeling that everybody is responsible and accountable for the, the culture within an organization, that it doesn't just sit with one person. How do you facilitate those conversations with um people that are less senior, um, that may be, you know, scared <laughs> to share their thoughts. Um, yeah. How do you do that? The smaller, the better in terms of how I kind of go through my lists of questions. I do them in person, one-on-one -on -one, with as many people as I can, depending on the size of the organization. If it's bigger then I go to small group, small focus groups, Um, and then obviously I, I gather whatever quantitative data the organization already has um, to overlay. But the main thing I use is qualitative one-on-one -on -one interviews as my starting point, which obviously gives me the opportunity to let that person know that everything is anonymous, that we're gathering um, data for the purpose of bubbling up themes um, and that those themes will be presented back in an objective way. Okay. No, that's always an important one um, because obviously, you know, uh, everyone in the organizations uh, has an impact on, on culture, right? So it's always, um, it can be tricky for leaders to have the, the actual <laughs> feedback uh, from their employee, the yeah. honest one. Um, I find, uh, I have to say, with all the founders that I've worked with, and maybe this is, you know, and CEOs, um, they're quite relieved when they get feedback of any kind uh, because as long as it is something that is useful feedback and they can see that they can use it to make a change 
or to, to double down on something that is, is really good, as long as they can see an action that they can take at the end of that, they're actually quite relieved. Yeah, that makes that's good to hear, actually, that our leaders <laughs> take feedback well. I think that feedback is one of the most uh, important thing if you want things to progress and, and grow, um, yeah. especially in the world of scale-ups and startups. Exactly. So perhaps um, we'll, we'll start wrapping up, um, but, but I was thinking to end on a, uh, an inspirational note and, and as a small summary of this, um, our conversation, can you just tell us um, why is culture so important um, in organizations and why um, leaders, in a few words to summarize our conversation, why leaders should really um, you know, pay attention to it uh, in the coming years and actually right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Look, as um, you grow as a leader and as a founder, you will be expected to take off those um, hats that you may have started off really loving to wear, whether that's on the technical side, building the product, where it's more on the business side, potentially being the advocate and the thought leader in the market. Um, you'll be encouraged to take those hats off and, and hand those hats over to other people. But the one hat that you can never take off is around the culture of your organization um, because it is it is one of those levers um, that is so important for you to be able to pull depending on what you need. And right now, what I'm hearing across the board from founders is they need to attract great people into their organization. And so if you really need to attract great people, culture is your most important lever to do that. Um, in the future, it might be around innovation. You know, it used to be, for example, a year, year and a half ago, all I used to hear about is we need to be more innovative. We're not coming up with, you know, groundbreaking products anymore. Again, culture was one of those levers that you can pull that will help you to do that. So as you, as you grow within your organization and as you build your own skills, um, you will learn more and more about why culture is so important and you'll be able to see how it can help you from so many different angles. So the sooner, the better that you get your head around this particular. Um, very fuzzy sometimes. People think it's a very fuzzy topic, but actually it, it is quite technical um, and you can work on it quite systematically and method methodically. Um, once you have those, I guess, correct tools in place and, you know, frameworks. Amazing. Thank you, Hiem. So it's time to wrap up this episode for today, but the conversation never stops and it doesn't stop here. So if you want to connect with Hiem directly, you can do so on Startup and Angels or on LinkedIn. We'll share the details in this podcast description. Thank you so much, Hiem, for spending your time with us today. And we're looking forward to having you back on. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to check out our other episodes of the Startup and Angels series on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to listen to more stories of startups and entrepreneurs.